In this Bible study, we're going to look at seven psalms of hope. And my desire for you is to discover hope in the psalms. The world today needs a lot of hope. I call this podcast Broken Vessels Mended by God because that's who I am. I am a Christian who is a sinner saved by grace. And that pretty much describes all of us. And so welcome to my podcast. My name is Ruth Douthit and I'm a teacher of God's Word. And whenever I study a a book of the Bible, I love to share what I've learned. And so that's the purpose of this podcast. So welcome. I'm so excited to share with you some of the things that I've learned by studying these seven Psalms. Of course, all the Psalms are valuable to read and treasure in our hearts, but I knew we could only look at seven at this time. So grab a comfortable chair, your favorite beverage, and your Bible, and let's dive into the Psalms and see what message God has for us. Welcome. In this Bible study for Lesson 1, we're going to be looking at Psalm 19, one of my favorite Psalms and probably one of your go-to Psalms. And in order to make sure that we're keeping it in the proper context, we're going to ask the journalistic questions. Who, what, where, when, why, and how? Who wrote it? Well, King David wrote this Psalm to honor God's power and revelation. And he wrote it to the people of God to be used in worship. David wrote of general revelation, creation, and special revelation, God's word, or the law that was given to mankind. This psalm is written as a song or poetry, so it's written in that format. And it starts with God's glory and creation, and then it goes to God's word and how it shows grace, and then David's prayer for grace. And this psalm praises God for gifts to humanity. God's beautiful creation and his word. And it was written probably in Jerusalem to the people of Jerusalem. So now that we have the proper context of this beautiful psalm, let's get started. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where there voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. General and Special Revelation I love this psalm because it is so poetic. You can really tell David was more than just a warrior and a king. He was a poet and an artist and a musician. He knew so many writing techniques even before Aristotle and Socrates made them part of the writing process. David knew how to create a powerful opening. He kept his audience in mind, and he knew how to take that audience on a journey through his poem, through his words. And that's the plan for all writers, isn't it? We writers desire to take you, the reader, on a journey. The heavens declare. First, David begins with general revelation. He begins with creation in the heavenly realm reminding his audience who God is and what he did as creator. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So he has us way out in the universe looking at the mighty power of God, his creation. And all of his creation attests to his power. The sound of day and night is heard by all the nations. 
The power of God and his goodness is known to all, good and bad alike. God spoke and continues to speak through his creation. This is called general revelation, creation all around us. And much can be learned about God through his creation. We see his omnipotence, his omniscience, and his omnipresence. And when you take a look at the leaves on the tree, you see veins going through them. And then when you look at your hand, you see veins going through it. And you can see how we have a common creator. But we also see in this psalm how David understood how important words and speech are to God. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Personification is a literary device poets use to connect with readers and to evoke emotion. Why do you think David used words like speech, words, language, and voice in these first few verses to personify the heavens? It's a writer's technique. We know words are very important to our God. It's how he chose to create and communicate with his people. Jesus himself is called the Logos, the Word of God. King David seemed to clearly understand this when he used personification. He wrote, In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of the heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Next, David takes us to our star. So we've gone from the vast universe down to our star, the sun. But he also uses like um, the wedding ceremony as a way to describe our sun. We know a tabernacle is a tent-like structure. In the Jewish wedding ceremony, the bride and groom go into their tent to consummate their marriage. And when they emerge from their tent, I'm sure that the splendor of their union is written all over their face. That's the image David describes here. The sun appears from behind the horizon with such glory and beauty cutting through the darkness that he compares it to um, like a strong man finishing a race. And we've all seen the faces of Olympic athletes when they win a race. It's pure joy and celebration. And some of us, when we look at our beautiful Arizona sunrises and sunsets, we definitely can describe it that way. Just spectacular beauty. Next, David wrote, And there is nothing hidden from its heat. What does this description say about our Creator? Well, we know when the sun shines, it shines on everything. David did a fantastic job of describing our God, didn't he? In verses 1-6, through six, we see that God is powerful. And we see this in his creation, the storms and the ocean. I don't know if you've ever stood beside the ocean, just listening to the roar of the waves. I mean, and the raging river, the Colorado River, when it's raging, very powerful. But we also see that nothing is hidden from our God. Interesting that David would write this about God, huh? He tried to do great sin and hide it from God. But now he's learned that nothing is hidden from God. But King David wanted his people to know what we all need to know. Only so much can be learned about God through creation. We can know a few of God's attributes by studying his creation. 
But to know everything about God, we need to read his words and how he describes himself. To skip that step is to miss out on so much. Now, you can learn a lot about me by going through my home. You could take a look at the books on my shelf, the pictures on my wall, the framed artwork hanging, and you could get an idea of who I am. And then you could sit down with my husband and my son and interview them about me, and you'll get to know even more about me. But to know who I am, it would probably be best to sit with me and talk with me. Years ago, we had the pleasure of touring Mount Vernon. That's the lovely home of George Washington. And it's perched on a hill overlooking the beautiful Potomac River. And he had this back porch made where he and his wife could sit and watch the ships go by on the river. When you stand on that porch and you look out at the view, we went in October, so some of the leaves were changing. You can understand why this man of war longed to return home to Mount Vernon and just sit on that back porch on this chair, rocking chair, and just rest as a private citizen. It is a magnificent estate. And as you tour it, they tell you fascinating things about its history and about George Washington. So when you tour his home, you can learn some things about him. But you can't learn everything about him. To learn more about him, you could read his writings. A lot of his writings are from when he was a teenager and he journaled. And you can read them in the National Archives. It's the same thing with us. I could learn so much about you by just touring through your home but I would know more about you by sitting down and talking with you. We can learn about God this way too. By studying his creation, he reveals so much about himself. Beautiful artist, powerful creator. But I thank the Lord that he gave us not only creation, but his personal word. In Psalm 19.7, David wrote, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Now David takes us from the universe to our Son. Now we are in God's Word. See how he took us on a journey? He takes us to the Word of God. We went from looking up to the heavens and creation, and now we are looking at scripture. There's only so much we can know about studying creation, but we can't know the sacraments. We, in order to know who God truly is, we must read his words. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. It's hard to imagine King David writing these words because he had seen what trying to get away with God means, judgment. But here he's saying that we can trust in that judgment that it's perfect. David understood that God's word transforms and satisfies us more than anything we can see, touch, taste, feel with our senses. Now compare this to what Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 8 through 9. 
Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. These things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Are Paul and David in agreement when it comes to focusing on God and his word? The witness of God is sure. We can trust it more than the witness of men. God's word endures. The words of men do not. David reminds us that God's word is more desirous than creation. He reminds us that God's perfect word is everlasting, and creation is not. The satisfaction of gold and honey are limited because we are limited. Everything on the earth is limited. But God's word transcends our senses. Only some is known by creation. The rest is known through studying the actual words of our holy God, the sacraments and atonement of Christ. It all comes down to Jesus, doesn't it? No other religion offers Jesus as the atonement for our sins. All other religions focus on works and not the perfect sacrifice of Christ. That's what we learn by studying the Word of God. David wrote, Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them, the law of God, there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from my secret faults. See how David puts the focus on his sinful nature? That's what studying God's word does. It takes our focus to God. We see his holiness, and then we are convicted of our great sinfulness and need of salvation. Remember when Isaiah saw God on his throne in that vision in Isaiah 6? What did he say when he saw God? He fell down and said, Woe is me! for I am ruined. Once we face the holiness of God, we are immediately struck down by our sinfulness. David, remember, he begged forgiveness of his secret sins. And consider how you pray. Why should we seek forgiveness of the sins we don't even know we've committed? Because we are without excuse, aren't we? We have been warned over and over again in Scripture that we serve a living and holy God, who demands our holiness. And it would be unfair that he not provide a way for us to be holy. But in his graciousness, he did. He provided a way. And in John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So now we can serve a holy God. We can pray to him and come before him because of the perfect atonement of Christ. Life application. So how do we apply all that we've learned so far in Psalm 19? Let's read on. David wrote, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. That's what it all comes down to, doesn't it? We can learn so much from Psalm 19, but the most important lesson is found near the end of this beautiful poem. 
David longs to be used by God, but he understood that he cannot be used unless he is pure, and only God can purify us of all our sins. We can pray and ask God to help us not to sin. We can seek him daily for forgiveness, but then remind him of the reasons we seek cleansing, so we can be blameless and innocent. We cry out to God for forgiveness and cleansing, and what are the results? That we can be acceptable to God and worthy of being used by him. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. That verse says it all, doesn't it? Our Redeemer lives. He is everything to us, and we must shout this out to everyone. May our speech and thoughts reflect that always. General revelation and special revelation. That's what Psalm 19 is about. Creation reveals God's power and goodness, as well as His wrath. His Word reveals our sinfulness and our need of a Savior, our desperate need of a Savior. God's Word reveals Himself, His character and attributes, our great sin, the wrath of God, forgiveness, salvation, and sanctification. It's amazing how David knew all this so long ago before Christ came. So many Christians today still don't know all of this. And by taking time to analyze this psalm, so much has been revealed to us about the God we love and long to serve. Next time you take a look around at God's creation and its beauty and power, you will remember these verses. Everything around you points to our awesome God. So should your life. Until next time, think about what you learned about God today and how it challenged and comforted you. Next time we're going to look at the beautiful Psalm 34, another one of my favorite go-to psalms. I hope that you'll join me. Thanks so much for joining me today, though, to look at Psalm 19, and I hope that you've been encouraged by the hope that's found in the Psalms. Until next time, God bless.